0: Hey, guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Friday. I hope everyone has had a great week so far. I think I say the same exact opening every single time on my podcast. This is funny. So I uh, was looking on Twitter. I don't even know how I found this because they didn't tag me. But I was looking, I guess, on the hashtag talking about uh why saying guys is not correct it's not politically correct you're not supposed to say hey guys because it excludes a certain gender or whatever i think it was a now this video now this is propaganda if you didn't already know that and someone responded i think to the tweet it was like if hey guys is wrong then every ally beth stucky relatable podcast is wrong because she starts every single one of her podcasts with, hey guys, I don't know why I do that because I think I typically say y'all rather than guys. I'm from Texas. I don't know why you say guys, but just kind of started out that way. If you want a new opening, let me know. If you are feeling excluded and offended by me saying, guys, let me know. I probably won't change it based on that. But Hey, You never know. Today, we're not doing an interview. We are going to do uh, things I just don't get. Actually, it's going to be things that you guys just don't get slash questions. I am excited about this episode because I got a ton of really good questions. And I know if one person asked me this, it is likely That other of you, others of you have the same question. And so hopefully this will be a good, productive, insightful, and fun episode for you guys. So I'm gonna do some things that you guys don't get and some questions at the same time. Um, so the first question then I that I got is: how do you learn to trust God again? Well, you learn to trust God again by reading his word. God is trustworthy. We don't have to trust him for him to be trustworthy. He just is. God is self-existent. He is self-defining. He is self-reliant. He doesn't need our faith. He doesn't need our trust to do the things that he is going to do, but he tells us to trust him because he is trustworthy. So whenever we are experiencing seasons of doubt or seasons of of questioning and saying, okay, is God really good uh, or as Satan asked Eve in the garden, Did God really say? When we start uh, finding ourselves kind of giving in to those questions and spiraling down into this uh, never ending tornado of doubt, we need to not move away from God's word and start asking people outside, Okay, what do you think about God? What do you think about God? But going into God's word and saying, What does God's word actually say? What does the inerrant, the all sufficient, word of god say about who he is we need to read stories of the bible in the bible of god's faithfulness we need uh, to read the letters to the church where uh, paul exhorts people and encourages people to persevere to stay strong in their faith to test themselves to discern what is right from wrong That is what you're struggling with right now, Um, in addition to wondering how you know to trust God. You are struggling with all kinds of questions and the desire to persevere, but not knowing how or what that looks like. And my advice for you is to go deeper into the word of God, not away from it. What I see so often, we've seen so many uh, stories of people lately falling away or saying um, that they no longer think that the word of God is sufficient or exclusively true. They start adding in their own philosophies and all of a sudden their entire worldview crumbles. Well, that's because instead of going to the source of all wisdom and knowledge for truth, they have started to look at outside secular pagan sources. You're not going to find real wisdom there. You're just going to get confused. But God is a God of peace, not a God of confusion. And so if you want peace, if you want knowledge, if you want, wisdom the bible says that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom then you need to go to the source of all of these things the alpha the omega the beginning and the end you need to go to his word that's how you learn to trust god again and of course prayer pray without ceasing Uh, pray for strength pray for uh, the grace of god to uh, allow you to stay strong and to work out your salvation with fear and trembling um another question so this is completely different this is kind of how the questions are going to be there are some going to be religious and some going to be uh political and i'm not going in any particular order someone said hillary running for president yeah apparently that's a thing that happened okay i'm gonna play you this little clip and so you'll know what i'm talking about
1: nothing has been more examined and looked at than my emails, we all know that. So he's either lying or delusional or both. There was no subpoena as he uh, says in a tweet this morning. Um, So maybe there does need to be a rematch. I mean, obviously I can beat him again.
0: So that was strange, right? That was strange. Like she said again, because she didn't beat President Trump the first time. And so we're just like, what? It's been a question over the past few years whether or not Hillary Clinton is living in an alternative universe. I think she thinks that there is more support for her potential presidency than there actually is. Now, there are Hillary stans. Like there are people who love Hillary Clinton, but I don't know how many of those people, I would say a very small percentage of those people. Actually, want her to become president um, now, and there would also be fear that she would just rig the election again, so that whoever really is going to be the nominee won't become the nominee, and that she will become the nominee because she runs the Democratic Party, probably somewhere behind the scenes. Uh, that would be great for President Trump. That would be great for President Trump because not only was she a terrible candidate. I mean, I'm sorry. I know that a lot of you love Donald Trump out there. You had to have a really terrible candidate in order, uh, in order to not beat Donald Trump, just because he was so out there and so crazy. Now I understand that she won the popular vote. There were three more, uh, three million more people who voted for her than voted for Donald Trump. But Donald Trump won the electoral vote. That's why, by the way, Democrats want to get rid of the electoral college. But that's a whole other thing to talk about. Um, but still, he won. He won. And in order for Donald Trump, someone as far out as that, as someone who so many people did not like, for him to win, you had to have a really bad Democratic candidate. And she was a really bad Democratic candidate. And I know this is a lot of people think this is a sexist thing to say. It's not a sexist thing to say because I say it about men too. She was just unlikable. She was unrelatable. She just didn't have any kind of charisma whatsoever and Donald Trump like him or not, he has a ton of charisma and he is very likable to the people that like him. He is very relatable to the people um, that he is relating to. I know that kind of sounds a little repetitive, but you understand what I'm saying. There are just not a lot of people that relate at all to Hillary Clinton. And plus, they're so resentful against her for uh, snubbing Bernie Sanders. I think it would be great for Donald Trump. Like, It would be pathetic of her to enter into the race and so she's got that card against her not a whole lot of people really like her enough to allow her to run for president i don't think people really want her presidency she's not woke enough quite frankly for the direction that the democrats are going in which is kind of crazy when you think about it but again i think it would be great for president trump i don't think that she'll do it i think hopefully there will be enough people in her life to say look It's just not, it's not for you, girl. It's not in the cards for you. You've had your political career. It's just not in the cards for you. That would be, that would be crazy. Now, that would be a turn that I didn't um, expect. Um why Christians are still sending their kids to the government for education. So I guess this is someone saying that she just doesn't understand that, which I totally understand that concern. If you listen to a conversation that I had with uh, Gabe Rinch over the summer, that is an interview that I had. It was a great interview. He's super insightful into biblical issues and really the intersection between uh, the Bible and family and culture and politics and all of that. So you can go listen to my interview with Gabe Rinch, but he talks about uh, the danger in parents sending their kids to public school. Now, I know a lot of godly and Christian parents uh, who have sent their kids to public school and they have done a really good job. And their kids have turned out wonderfully and awesome and strong in their faith and very uh, very equipped to deal with the outside world that we obviously are going to have to deal with and to walk through and to work in and all of that. So I just can't say wholesale that every single parent who sends their kid to public school because that's the only option that they have is doing a bad thing. Now, do I think that you have to uh, take extra steps to teach your kids while they're at home to make sure that you implement the right values to instill them with the word of God? Yeah, you probably do. I think that parents need to be doing that anyway, whether their kids go to private or a public school, but there are probably going to be values that they will learn at a non-Christian school that you are more opposed to than if you sent them to a Christian school. It would be awesome if every single parent had the option to send their kids to a small private school, uh, a Christian school where they knew that they were going to be uh, taught God word on a daily basis, that's simply not an option for everyone. And I also know a lot of teachers in public schools who are great, who are wonderful teachers and who are godly teachers and who are doing their best to teach their kids as, as well as they possibly can. Now, I do think that uh, public education has been overtaken by the left, has been overtaken by bureaucrats, and therefore it is failing our children. I do think that there is a systemic problem with public schooling and that unfortunately Christians kind of ceded that ground, that Christians kind of surrendered the realm of public education to the left. And maybe it's not all of our fault. Maybe there are some things that we could have not, we... Maybe there are some things that we could have done differently, and maybe there are some things that we couldn't have done any differently. We did the best that we could in some arenas, but we totally ceded and surrendered that ground. And now, systemically and in general, public education is monopolized by the left. And because of that, it is very difficult for parents who want to raise their kids in a Christian and conservative uh, worldview. It is very difficult because they're learning something during the day, they're learning something different at home, and um, that can be hard. That can present another challenge, but. I know for a lot of parents, it's the only option that they have and a lot of teachers do do a really good job. So I just want to be careful there not to make too many generalizations to say that everyone who is involved in the public education is wrong and bad and doing the wrong thing. Um, I think it's the most important thing, no matter what, no matter where your kids go, is to uh, teach them in the Lord and to cultivate their faith as much as you can to steward this gift of children that God has given you in a responsible way so that uh, they know the truth. And that might be more difficult if your kids are going to public school, uh, but that is true for all of us no matter where our kids go or whether they're homeschooled, which I think is also an awesome option. Um, a lot of you, I've gotten a few questions about the Ellen DeGeneres, George Bush thing. They were sitting together and apparently some people got mad. I will say it was only people on the left who got mad. No conservatives were like, why is George Bush sitting with Ellen DeGeneres? I don't think any conservative thought of that. I think they probably thought it was cool. But leftists got mad because George Bush, he's a so-called war criminal, whatever. They're more mad. People on the left are more mad, Matter whatever at george bush uh because of the war and because of the events surrounding 9-11 than they are with saddam hussein that is true there are people i would say on the left and the right who are more mad at uh george bush than they are with saddam hussein that's crazy to think about um okay let me play you this clip from the ellen show
1: So uh, this weekend, I went to Dallas uh, for the Cowboys game. But during the game, they showed a shot of George and me laughing together. And uh, so people were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. I was aware that it, I was going to be surrounded with people from very different views and beliefs. And I'm not talking about politics. I was rooting for the Packers. And uh, get this, everybody in the Cowboys suite was rooting for the Cowboys. And so I had to hide my cheese hat in Porsche's purse. Here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's OK that we're all different. But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't Mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean, be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter.
0: So I would say, good for her, obviously. Obviously, Ellen DeGeneres and I are diametrically opposed on a lot of values on how we see the world. But I really respect, I really respect that she did this. Now, what's a little bit funny. Not really ha ha funny, but it says something about our culture that the fact that she had to go up there and say, hey, guys, I'm going to be kind to people that I disagree with. And yeah, I'm going to be friends with people who are on the other side of the political aisle. And that was hailed as this like great heroic act that everyone applauded for. And I mean, I did like I shared it. I'm like, oh, this is such a big deal. This is so awesome. Other people need to be like this. Ten years ago, first of all, I don't think anyone would have complained five years ago. I'm not sure as many people would have complained. And it wouldn't have been a big deal, as as big of a deal as it is now. And her saying, hey, I'm going to be kind to everyone wouldn't have been applauded as this heroic act. But because we are so tribalized and we are so divided and we are so outraged all the time, this was like a stunning act of bravery. Really, it's just common decency. OK, she's a nice and polite person. We should all be nice and polite people. We should all be able to set our differences aside and say, you know what? you're a human being and I am going to see the best in you. Now, there are some things that uh, some people brought up about, okay, she's not kind to President Trump. She hasn't had President Trump on her show. I understand that concern is someone who voted for Donald Trump, who is someone who is obviously a conservative. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think I don't think that makes her unkind. I think that you can dislike a politician. She obviously believes, not saying she's right, but she obviously believes that Donald Trump is a bad person, that he is a bigot, and that he is not just someone who disagrees with her, but someone whose values she just doesn't align with at all. I don't think it's wrong for her or hypocritical. I don't think it's hypocritical of her to say, hey, be kind to everyone and still disagree with President Trump and not have him on her show. I don't think that's hypocritical i don't think in order for her to be a kind person she has to have every single politician that she doesn't agree with on her show now She really never has Republicans on her show, not just Donald Trump. So that might be a little point of contention that, okay, if you're, it's not just, you shouldn't just be kind and welcoming to George Bush. Maybe there are some other Republicans that you don't hate as much as Donald Trump that you can at least be kind to. Um, I think that's fair to point out. But just because she doesn't like President Trump, I don't think that necessarily makes her hypocritical. Um, Okay, next question. I don't get people... Okay, this is not a question. I don't get people who don't like naps or who wash their hair every day. Okay. Yes, I don't wash my hair every day. I haven't washed my hair every day since ever? Have I ever washed my hair every day? Because I remember in high school that my friends and I literally, this is gross, and this is just what teenagers do, had a competition to see who could go the longest without washing their hair. I don't think I won that. I don't think I won that competition. But that just goes to show that we obviously didn't care about washing our hair every day. It's not good to wash your hair every day if you didn't know that. My parents still don't believe me on this, and they don't get it that it's actually not good to wash your hair every day that you should let your hair rest and collect oil and all that good stuff so but I can't say that I don't get people that don't wash their hair every day because I do get it because some people's hair just gets greasy and they don't want to deal with it it gets itchy and all that sorry this is kind of a gross subject but I just wanted to address this person's concern that I'm on the same page as you but I kind of get why people do it and then the other thing that you don't get people who don't like naps I don't like naps I so I guess you just don't get me. So let me try to explain this to you. I feel like I'm losing time. And I don't like I like sleep. But I don't like our need for sleep. Like I wish that I didn't need as much sleep as I do in order to function and to be productive. And I don't like naps. I'm not good at taking naps. Because as soon as I lay down, I'm thinking about a million things. And it makes me feel worse afterwards. I think maybe napping is something like an art that you kind of have to perfect. And I haven't perfected that art because I lay there for 20 minutes. And by the way, this is like I'm talking about before I had a baby. I don't, I can't nap at all now. But uh, I guess if I ever tried to nap before I have a baby, I lay there for 20 minutes thinking about something or on my phone or something like that. And then if I do finally fall asleep, Unless I wake up at the exact right time in my sleep cycle, I am really groggy for the rest of the day. So that's why I don't like naps. So I hope that provided you some insight. Um, what is your favorite thing that your daughter does so far? I love talking about her. She's so cute. I know I don't uh, show pictures, but she is. I, I mean, just like objectively speaking, I know I'm biased. Objectively speaking, like she's just so cute. Um, my favorite thing that she Does I think I might have answered this on the last Q and A? Actually, it's really hard to pick a favorite. I mean, I love when she smiles. She has smiled since she was like literally two weeks years, two weeks, two weeks years old, two weeks years old, two weeks old. Um. I know that in the beginning, it's kind of just like a reflex that they have. It's not like a genuine reaction to something, but it did seem like it. Like she would look us in her eyes and smile really early on. So I love when she smiles. She hasn't quite gotten a laugh yet. But I love when she reacts to something that we do or she tries to kind of like mimic our facial expressions. One thing that I think is funny that she does is that she has very different emotional reactions to different songs. So if there's like a happy, upbeat song, she'll be happy. She likes that. But if you change to a song that she doesn't like, it is like, I don't know what it is, but she will just erupt in tears, um, which I just think is very emotionally mature of her very emotionally sensitive of her to know that there is some songs that she just doesn't like or are too sad for her if like there's some kind of if there's some kind of tune that she thinks is a little bit sadder it seems like her emotions change i love that i love when she wakes up in the morning i love that she likes she really likes to sit up even though she can't sit up she would like us to hold her in a seated position for as long as possible um oh one thing that i really love that she does She loves to watch football. I think it's because of like the movement and the colors. And so she will sit with my husband on the couch and intently, intently watch football. And it's so cute. She looks like she's like really focused and like she really wants to know if her team is going to win. So I don't know. She just does like a lot of cute things. I mean, not everyone can be as cute and as great as baby girl. Uh, One thing this person doesn't get is why nickels are bigger than dimes. I don't know. That's so weird. Who decided that? And so we're pennies. Pennies are bigger than dimes, too. I think that's weird as well. I think we should probably we should probably hold whoever runs for president on the Democratic side or whoever the nominee is and President Trump. We should uh, hold them both accountable when it comes to that. Uh, We should ask them that tough question at the debates. That should be the question that we should submit. They need to tell us the reasoning for this. And If they're not willing to change that, are they really capable of changing anything? So I think that's a great, great question. Uh, Enneagram, Enneagram. Okay, I get asked this a lot. This is another one. This I need to add this to my list actually of things to talk about is dedicating an entire podcast episode to personality tests. This is actually something that I'm going to talk about in my book, which is coming out April 2020. By the way, you guys are going to love it. I can't wait to like share the cover with you and exactly what it is. Once I share the title, you guys are going to be so excited. I'm so excited. But I, I talk about the Enneagram on um, in my book and. Its origins and why it is so easy to idolize personality tests and to use your personality type, whether it's the Enneagram or Myers Briggs or whatever, as an excuse to sin. Oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just an isolated person or I'm just an unfriendly person or I'm just an overthinker. I'm just a worrier because I'm an Enneagram 12579. And by the way, I. Pretty recently, I would say like a year ago, didn't see anything wrong with the Enneagram. I didn't know about it. I just kind of assumed it was another personality test. I was even told in college that it was a Christian personality test, that it was used uh, by the church. Well, that's not true. It actually uh, has origins in the occults, which I will, I can talk about in more depth at some point. And it was used by mystics. It was introduced to the Catholic Church in like the 1970s, and they've tried to like, reappropriate it, but it doesn't have Christian origins and it's really not something to base your life on or to uh, try to understand your behavior through the lens of i think it gives people some sense of comfort to try to understand themselves or to feel like they are understood by an objective standard of a personality test but the fact is is that the bible calls us all to be holy not to know ourselves better and i would be wary in general of too much introspection i do think it's important to test ourselves and to um understand what our sin temptations are. But I think that we are able to do that through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit and not through obsessing over personality tests. I understand a lot of people feel like they've been liberated by personality tests. You haven't. You've been liberated, if you have been, uh, by the blood of Christ. A lot of people feel like they've been helped by the Enneagram. A lot of people think that it is help them love other people. And I understand that. I do. I'm not saying that it hasn't. I can't, you know, argue with you on that. If you feel like it's been helpful to you in some way, there are a lot of pagan things that probably people feel like they have been helped by. People probably think that they have been helped by a zodiac sign, but the Enneagram really is not much different than that, is what I've realized. And I've just done my own research and learning this stuff. And so I'm telling you that as someone who, did believe in the truth in them and the helpfulness of them pretty recently um, until I started researching for myself and realizing that it's become this idol almost in the church of all these Christians talking about, well, I'm a nine, I'm a one. Mm, I don't think that should be our identity. I think that we are bought with a price. We become um, ambassadors of Christ when we are made new creations, and that is who we are. Yes, we all have different personalities, we have different quirks, we have different preferences, and that's wonderful, that's beautiful. We are all different members, different parts of the body of Christ and God did create us that way and that is great. But I think it becomes a problem when we see ourselves as a certain personality type or number and not as who we are in Christ. We are all called to the same standard of holiness because of what Christ did for us. Okay, next question okay someone asked me about drag queen story hour i am going to play you and this so you have to be watching this in order to know what's going on so i encourage you to watch this part on youtube or on facebook but i am going to play you drag queen story hour that happened at a real library for children this is drag queen story hour it's your classic children's reading program with a twist. The day's literary leader is a larger-than-life drag queen. Drag queens are just here to entertain. We can read, we're intelligent, like we um we are harmless. And I just hope that, you know, moving forward, it kind of just like stretches those imaginations a little bit
1: more to continue normalizing it and, you know, give people a little bit more like
0: fearlessness to take home with them. So Obviously this is extremely disturbing. This is perverted, it's disgusting, it is dark, it's demonic, it's satanic, it's whatever you want to call it. There is a real push, a real push to se- uh, to sexualize children and to uh see children as or to treat children as viable uh as is viable participants as legitimate participants in any kind of sexuality, sexual acts. And that is why we are going to see the normalization of pedophilia. And so we talked about public schooling. Uh, This is another thing to think about when when you are considering public schooling. This is something that is going to be normalized in the public education system because the left controls the public education system. So that is something to think about. It's just another reason for parents to be vigilant. We cannot be apathetic with our kids' education. We cannot be apathetic with our kids' worldview. There was probably a time where parents could be more uh, than they can be now, where they could maybe trust even public schools and their teachers to teach them good godly values that you didn't really have to worry about. Okay, they were going to teach them, you know, 19 different genders, and that marriage isn't really between a man and a woman, that they were going to teach them. Uh, things that really oppose the Bible. I mean, of course, there was a big scandal when they started teaching evolution uh, in public schools, and that has definitely gone downhill from there. And when prayer was pulled out of public schools, uh, but in general, it has been a lot better in the public sphere than it is now. And so parents just have to be vigilant. They have to be vigilant. There is a whole uh, Instagram account that I shared the other day about Talking to your kids about kinks and fetishes and different sexual desires and things like that because they think that this is going to be liberating and freeing for kids. No, there's a reason why there are stages in development. Our mind isn't even fully formed until the age that we're 25. Kids don't have any capacity to understand those things, they don't have a desire for those things. They might be Curious at a, a certain age about anatomy and things like that, but there is a reason why we protect child's a child's innocence as much as possible. And the outside world will tell you that is cultivating shame. No, it's not. It's actually cultivating honor. Uh, a book that I highly recommend is *Love Thy Body* by Nancy Piercy. I actually interviewed Nancy Piercy a few um, a few weeks ago. It talks about how the Christian ethic is actually more honoring to the body than the secular ethic, and why that is. And so I highly recommend Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. I also recommend the episode that I did with her, the interview that I did with her a few weeks ago. Uh, Nancy Piercy, definitely go check that out. Um, Next question. Have I ever done an episode on election? Yes, I have. There is an episode from the summer titled Predestination. I would go check that out if you are interested. Someone said they don't understand fingerless gloves. Me neither. Maybe your palm gets cold. But I would say that when you are cold, it's your, your digits that get cold, right? So and especially now they have that technology where you can like actually use your phone when you are um, when you have gloves on. So what is the point of fingerless gloves? If someone in the comments or someone out there could tell me the point of fingerless gloves. I always think of like the burglars in Home Alone when I think of fingerless gloves. So I don't know, does anyone else use fingerless gloves out there besides the burglars in Home Alone that I'm sure is watching? They're watching right now. Um, someone says that I don't get people who like Pepsi. Pepsi's good. And I'm talking as someone who likes Coca-Cola. Uh, Pepsi's good. It just is. Uh, like when people hate on Pepsi, I just like don't really say anything. But secretly, I'm like, Pepsi's pretty good. Like I'm okay if a restaurant doesn't have Coke and they want to give me Pepsi. I don't I don't get people who don't get People who like Pepsi. Is Pepsi really bad or is it just like this thing? Is there just a stigma surrounding Pepsi? Maybe we need to destigmatize Pepsi. That's another thing that we need to hold our presidential candidates to. Uh, People who say supposedly is something that you don't understand or all of the sudden. Ooh, I might be guilty of all of the sudden. I think someone's corrected me on this before. All of the sudden. Is it all of a sudden? All, All of a sudden? uh is that is that just wrong i also say um what do i say whole nother a whole nother thing which is not a phrase at all and i'm someone who really cares i mean i care about grammar i shouldn't say i really care about grammar some of you i feel bad because you'll send me a message you'll know, like sorry my grammar is bad i'm like oh gosh i hope i am not seen as that person who's like correcting people's grammar because i'm not i don't really care But I do care when people are writing articles or when something is formal and they don't know how to like use a comma or something. That does kind of irk me a little bit. Or when people are trying to sound smart and they use too many commas, that does bother me. But people who say supposedly, you know what? I don't say supposedly, but I think my dad says supposedly. And I hope he's listening to this right now because he makes fun of me for how I say important. Because apparently I say important. My mom says it's because... We listen, young people listen to rap, and that's why we say important. But you know what? Someone else said when she was on my podcast that she says important the way that I do. I don't know why. I don't know why we say important, but a lot of people have told me that I don't say it correct correctly. Whoa, correctly. Uh, when I was filming my PragerU video, I've told the story before. I had to say the word important, and they made me say it over and over again. I I had never heard until that point that I said important wrong. Um, But I had to say important. And I felt so weird saying that. Do you say important? Does everyone say important when they talk important? Important. I I think I can do that. It's spelled like D-E-N-T. Okay, might as well end on a controversial one. Now, everyone who listens to my podcast who is Catholic, I love you. We have very different views, and you guys know that. I actually get messages all the time from Catholics being like, you know, we disagree on a lot, but I really like your theology podcast, and I like your takes, and so I'm so glad that we can unite on the things that we do agree with. But you guys know that I am a a Protestant, that I don't think about being a Protestant, like, it's not the same as Catholic saying I'm Catholic. We don't go around saying like I'm Protestant. We just say I'm a Christian, Um, but I am a Protestant. I am reformed. And so I have very different views from my Catholic friends on a lot of things. But someone asked me my thoughts on Catholic confession to a priest. And so guys, Catholics who are listening to this, please don't be angry at me. You know that we disagree. So you're going to disagree with me. I wouldn't be angry with you for disagreeing with me, but I am going to share my opinion on this. Um, So the Bible does tell us to confess our sins to one another. And so I think that's important. We are to confess our sins to fellow believers. I don't think that the the act of confessing your sin to a priest in itself isn't unbiblical, but the thought that that priest can absolve you from any sin or that he can give you a prescription to absolve yourself from sin is wrong. And The thought that you have to confess your sins to a priest in order to be forgiven is unbiblical. Um, The only intercessor, the true intercessor that grants you any access to God is Jesus Christ himself. He is our intercessor. So confessing your sins to a priest isn't wrong. But to say you have to confess your sins uh, to a priest in order to be forgiven, in order to truly repent, in order to absolve yourself from any guilt or sin, that is unbiblical. It's not found in the Bible at all. So while I don't think it's a bad practice, I do think the obligation to do so or the rule to do so, it's just not found in the Bible now. That is just one contention that I have um, with Catholic doctrine and, again, I love, I have very many Catholic friends that I love and are awesome, and we have great conversations about this stuff. And you and I, who are Catholic, we agree on a lot. But there are also just a lot of doctrinal differences, very serious doctrinal differences uh, that we disagree on. So that's where I would say, that's where I land on the confessing to the priest. I just kind of wanted to end this on a very controversial note. I got tons and tons and tons of questions, tons of questions that I could probably spend two more hours answering. Um, But I won't. I won't. I'll save them for later because you guys always have really good thought-provoking questions. Some of them take longer than me just thinking off the top of my head to answer. And so I'll have to do that again in the future. Love you guys. Happy Friday. I will see you back here on Monday. On Monday, we are going to be talking about why Christians should not be dating or in any kind of uh, romantic relationship with an unbeliever. So just all over this controversial stuff. I will see you guys back here then. Have a great weekend.